It's Wednesday. It's hump day. We made it through halfway of the week to our friends that are celebrating Passover. To our friends that will be celebrating Easter. Hope you have terrific, uh, albeit limited, family celebrations. A little bit more of a a digital celebration this year. But uh, hope that you are celebrating both of those occasions as, as best as can be. In uh, the current times that we are in, we're here to take your mind off things. We're here to talk some sports with you today. There is sports to discuss at 437-7644 if you'd like to join the party. Brent Axe Media on Twitter. Special way we're going to use Twitter and the text line today. So write this down if you haven't. Brent Axe Media, that's my Twitter feed, our on-the-block text line is 315, of course, 288-0644, 288-0644. Today we are going to have a blind side. Now, if, if you listen to the program but don't always make it to about 535-ish, you'll want to today, if you're somebody that normally does that, and you've missed the blind side, well, we're going to bring it back today, and we are going to do it in a fun way because you are going to participate in the blind side today. Here's what we're going to do. So keep this in mind, but don't tweet me or text me right now. Here's how we're going to work this. So if you listen to the show regularly, you know that in the blind side, Seth Goldberg or J-Rock or whoever's producing the show that day will come in and they will ask me five questions presented by our friends at Burdick Toyota. I don't know these questions, and you don't know these questions. That's what makes it a great segment. Hence, we're being blindsided with questions, and they could be about anything. It doesn't even have to be about sports, and we have to react. We have to answer on the fly. You're going to do that to me today, so here's what I want you to do. Between 5.15 and 5.30, I'm going to stay off Twitter, and that's, of course, when like the world will blow up, and I won't even know about it. But I'm going to stay off Twitter, and I'm going to not check the text line. That's when you're going to send me your questions, okay? So if you want to participate in this, have a question for me for the blind side. We're not going to limit it to five. I'm going to answer as many as I can in the blind side segment. We've got 10 minutes of uh, on this little thing here. It's time for the blind side. we got 10 minutes of music there. I'm going to get through as many as I can when we do it later in the show. So between 5.15 and 5.30, send me your questions on Twitter, Brent Ax Media. On the on the block text line at 315-288-0644. We will have a blind side today. I'll answer as many as I can. I'll remind you when we get closer, but uh, keep that in mind if you're listening now. Two great guests that will join us today. Mike McAllister, top of next hour. It's going to be a busy 5 o'clock hour with Mike talking Cruton and transfers and what's been a pretty busy Syracuse basketball front there in terms of transfers coming in, transfers not coming in, some recruiting news to get to, how they're recruiting. It's a, it's a quiet period and all that, but still some recruiting things to get updated on. Mike will tell us all about that at 5 o'clock. Right after that at 5.20, our good friend Ryan Burr, Syracuse grad, former WKTV sports anchor. For those of you listening in the Mohawk Valley, used to join me on the radio back in the day. Now with NBC Sports and the Golf Channel, Oh, man, it, I, this week's hitting me. I'm not going to lie to you, right? This week is, we're just supposed to be gorging on an all-you-can-eat sports buffet. The Masters would be teeing off tomorrow. The hockey playoffs would be starting today. 
the NBA playoffs right around the corner. Baseball would be on our TVs every night. I mean, we truly are learning through this how spoiled we are as sports fans. But this week in particular, right? But we do know when the Masters is going to be. We do know when golf is going to try and get back at this thing. And while baseball is discussing contingency plans and the NBA is discussing contingency plans and baseball is discussing contingency plans, including this Arizona idea that's been floated out there, which is kind of wacky. But, I mean, these are extraordinary times. These are weird times. We've got to get weird just to play the sports we want to play, right? So golf does have a plan. They've laid out the dates for the U.S. Open, for the Ryder Cup, for the Masters. What will the course look like then? How will they proceed? Will golf be the first major professional sport out there to come back? Is it the most conducive sport to come back? We'll ask Ryan Burr all those questions. Ryan is also a very passionate Syracuse sports fan, so I'm sure he'll have thoughts on some of the things we're going to discuss on the show today and with Mike McAllister later in the show. Hot takes as usual, and all the usual hijinks and tomfoolery you would expect from the program. Can't wait to hear from you throughout at 437-7644. I do want to start with a couple of things. A plug, if you will. I hope you can check out this article. So yesterday I talked with uh, Devo and D-Nick, otherwise known as Eric Devendorf and Demetrius Nichols, who are always great to talk to. You hear their voices often on this radio station as guests and analysts of Syracuse basketball and other things. But there was a specific reason that I talked to Eric and Demetrius yesterday, and that was Jim Beheim during that Facebook Live celebration Saturday, floats it out there. and Even if he was just kind of breaking chops, even if Troy Weaver had no shot at Kevin Durant, he was just basically associating it because... Troy Weaver, former Syracuse basketball assistant coach, used to recruit the DMV area, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., Virginia area, right? And landed uh, some guy named Carmelo Anthony in those pursuits. Kevin Durant was a recruit from that area, and Beheim was mentioning during the Facebook Live Saturday when we were all watching and celebrating the 2003 National Championship anniversary that if Troy Weaver had stayed at Syracuse, that he would have got Kevin Durant. Now, think about that. It's Carmelo Anthony 2003. National championship. The great moment in Syracuse basketball history. Three years later, Kevin Durant would be on a team that would include Demetrius Nichols, who led not only Syracuse, but the Big East in scoring that year at just under 19 points per game. Eric Devendorf was a top eight scorer in the Big East that year. Terrence Roberts, Daryl Watkins, Andy Routens off the bench. Now, in this particular case, Paul Harris was on that team, but probably wouldn't be in this dream scenario of Kevin Durant being there. But picture that lineup. And that's what Demetrius and Eric did in this article. And I don't want to give the whole thing away. I'd like you to read it, please. That'd be nice. But they kind of speculated about lineups and how good that team would be and This now enters the conversation of one of the great what-ifs in Syracuse basketball history. And even if Bayon was just breaking chops, it wasn't, like, who knows how serious they would be in this pursuit, how serious Durant would be, and I mean, there's just a lot of moving parts to this. But that is not one of the great what-ifs in Syracuse basketball history. It's just one of the great, how can I put this, uh, screw jobs, 
in Syracuse basketball history because that was the season, the 06-07 season. That's Demetrius' senior year, leads the Big East in scoring. Devendorf coming up. Routen's coming up. We mentioned Terrence Roberts and Daryl Rockins. And that team got absolutely wrongly snubbed out of the tournament. We all remember it. Put Kevin Durant on that team. And a lot of people have been discussing this and speculating about this. And wow, Kevin Durant on that team, they just want to cruise to the national championship, right? I'm not so sure about that. Now, I would certainly feel comfortable putting Syracuse in the tournament that year. They should have been in the tournament anyway. I think Kevin Durant would have got him over the edge there. Different team, different circumstance, but Kevin Durant's Texas team. Now, Durant individually had one of the great seasons in college basketball history. He was the consensus player of the year. He was the Naismith Award winner. He averaged 26-11. and 11. First freshman to win that award. First freshman to be the consensus player of the year. Yeah, Carmelo didn't even get these awards that we're discussing here. It was Durant. Texas lost to USC in the second round of that tournament. Now, Durant had 30 that game, so... It was one of those things where USC was like, Durant's going to do his thing, but we're going to stop DJ Augustine. We're going to stop some of the other players on this team and let him do what he wants, but try and stem the flow elsewhere. And it worked because not only did USC win that game, five seed beating a four, they won convincingly. I think it was 88-68, I believe was the final score of that game, 87-68, something like that. So it's intriguing to think about. Durant would have been great in the zone. And when you look at the X's and O's and the particulars of it, and I asked Demetrius and Eric about that, and it was fun to hear them speculate about the lineup. It was fun to hear them speculate about who would be where. And Demetrius is saying, okay, so you would put Devo at point, I'd be at the two, Durant at the three, Mookie and Terrence down low. I mean, that'd be the greatest back end of the zone defense in history right there. So that's fun to think about. It's fun to speculate about. But to me, the bigger what if comes in, look, At the end of the day, you've got a Hall of Fame head coach, you've got amazing facilities, and then the Carmelo Anthony Center was just being thought of and conceived. It hadn't been built yet. But to this day, 17 years later, Carmelo Anthony still helps recruit players to Syracuse. When they are asked about Syracuse basketball, they come in cold, first thought about Syracuse basketball, they're going to think of Jim Boeheim, they're going to think of probably the Carrier Dome. They're going to think of it snows there a lot, and they're going to think of Carmelo Anthony, like it's in the first breath. Doesn't hurt that his name's on the building. and But, I mean, Melo is just, it resonates for years. That's what I think about. That's my intrigue. That's the what if that really comes in. Not what they would have done in that season. Not how far they could have gone in 2007. You have... Carmelo Anthony and Kevin Durant in the three-year span, both Hall of Famers, both superstars, both one of the biggest names on the planet when it comes to basketball. Durant has certainly passed Melo in that category, but Melo's not too far behind. Players recruit players. Legacy recruits players. When you earn enough of a legacy, it sort of takes care of itself. You still got to go out there and pound the pavement, and these days it's the digital pavement, and 
get players to buy into what you do. And recruiting is not simply like Duke doesn't just like open its doors and McDonald's all Americans flood in, contrary to popular belief. You still got to put in the work, right? But that's what really grabs me about that. As soon as that came out of Bayheim's mouth, like that's what I thought of. Not just, man, how good would that team have been? How fun it would have been to watch him play, as great as that would have been. Because as mentioned, Durant had one of the great individual seasons in college basketball history. Even Mello wasn't on that level. He was here. Mello checked a lot of boxes, certainly. But not on that level. Durant wasn't even the top pick in that draft. Remember, Greg Oden went number one. And that's a big what if and, and a whole separate conversation there about great draft decisions in history. It's the legacy forged from that that intrigues me. So I encourage you to read the piece because Eric and Demetrius were great. They offered some terrific insight on that. And not not only that, Debo's got some interesting insight in this because he actually did play with Kevin Durant. Remember, he played with Durant at Oak Hill in the 04-05 season. It was Debo's senior year. Uh, Durant was a junior, and Durant ended up at another school the next year, but they played together that year. Now, I asked Evo about, did he ever mention colleges? Did they ever talk about where they were thinking of going? And that never really came up. But Devo, I didn't put this in the article, but he basically was telling me about, even then, how much of a, like, there's gym rats, then there's people that just go above and beyond. He said Durant was always in the gym, like, always working on his game. Everybody there worked hard, he said, but Durant was like, no matter what hour of the day you'd go there, if he wasn't in class or wasn't somewhere where they were all obligated to be, that's where he was. That's where he was. This has been a time to discuss what-ifs. We had John Casillo on the show last week from News Magician. They had that awesome what-if poll. You can only pick three Syracuse basketball what-ifs in history, and there's the ones you always think of. What if Keith Smart missed that shot? What if Arenziano Waka was healthy in 2010? What if the Fab Mello one I don't really buy into because despite the fact he didn't play in that tournament, they're in the Elite Eight. They're on the verge of getting there. And the only thing that held them back from getting that Final Four was the most ridiculously officiated game I've ever seen. So that wasn't a what if to me. I mean, if you want a what-if, it's like, can we get a better officiating crew in here, a competent crew to officiate that game and put Syracuse in its rightful place in the 2012 Final Four? But that's neither here nor there. But I was discussing this on the show yesterday about if I had told you yesterday on the anniversary of the championship game in 2003, putting aside all the wacky things happening in the world as it stands today, who's president of the United States, which despite your politics is still wild to think about, the coronavirus affecting life, like everything. If I had come back from the future in 2003 and laid this all out for you. But imagine then I could put into that Kevin Durant plays just three years after Mello. And they get to that Final Four in 2010. And they get to that Final Four in 2012. And, you know, you got to keep the good with the bad. Keeping in the NCAA sanctions, keeping in the snubs from the tournament, keeping in the surprise runs to the Final Four, the ebb and flow of it, right? But... That's now up there to me with Michael Vick. That to me is the ultimate what if. Michael Vick plays at Syracuse, which wasn't a pipe dream. That almost happened. He was recruited. He was visiting Syracuse with Donovan McNabb. And there's a whole 
story I could get into there that I don't have time for now, but it was basically a phone call made to Vic's mother that almost got Michael Vick here, but ultimately he wanted to forge his own legacy. He didn't want to be the next guy. And maybe that's what would have held Kevin Durant from coming here. He didn't want to be the next mellow. He wanted to be his own player, his own guy. Texas offered him that opportunity. Because remember, North Carolina was the other choice. So players that truly want to forge their own legacy go places like that. Dior Johnson is coming in in two years, not next year. And we'll talk to Mike about this later. Feels like he can be a Carmelo Anthony type rebirth in a big name coming in and technically is the highest rated recruit to come to Syracuse since then. So every few years, you just need that jolt. You need that player that really ramps things up. So we talked to Devo and uh, Demetrius about that. And uh, spoiler alert, they would have welcomed the opportunity. 437-7644, Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line is 288-0644. We'll break on that note. We'll come back. I've actually got a couple of football things I want to get into on the Syracuse front because the draft is approaching. We're going to be talking to some of these players here on the show in the coming days and weeks. We're working on that for you. But there's some interesting draft news out there, and I think Stephen Bailey laid out a great case on how Syracuse football is going to have to cover the over this year, the five-and-a-half that was set by Vegas, which at this time last year, we're all looking at each other like, oh, easy money. Now, now we got to think about it, right? Right now, let's get an update on recruits, on transfers, on all things Syracuse. My main man, Mike McAllister, joining us here from CuseNation.com. Give him a follow on Twitter as well for all the latest. Michael, how are you? Fantastic, Brent. How are you? Just living the dream as best we can these days, my friend. Everybody healthy and, and safe and, and happy as can be uh, in these times? Healthy and safe, maybe a little stir-crazy, but yeah, other than that, we're good. <laughs> I hear you, brother. I hear you. Uh, Mike, before we get into recruiting and transfers and some things, I know that you were uh, partaking in the festivities Saturday night with the Facebook Live and reliving the championship game, and just you had some great stuff on your website about it as well. Just Look, when that anniversary comes up, fans always kind of note it and celebrate it, but there was something more about it this year considering the sports shutdown that we are in, and then we're hearing all these great stories from Bayheim and the former players. I mean, what a night that was. Yeah, it was fantastic, and I thought that the Facebook Live that Syracuse Athletics did with all the former players and former coaches and current coaches and Jerry McNamara, who's a current coach and a former player from that team, and they had some uh, Syracuse alum that were media members come on, Pete Thamel, Mike Tirico, a few others. I thought it was extremely well done. It was the stories that we heard and the way that they were ragging on each other a little bit here and there, you know, teasing Akeem Warwick about missing the free throws. And then he said, well, if I made the free throws, then I wouldn't have had the block. So I knew what I was doing. And, you know, there was some, some funny back and forth there and just seeing the chemistry between them um, virtually kind of gave a little bit of window as to why they were able to work so well together on the floor. So I thought it was fascinating. I thought it was really well done. Given the current landscape of sports that we're in, the fact that there aren't any, it made it that much more um, fun for everybody, and I think more people were paying attention to it. And I think the Syracuse Athletics wants to keep themselves sort of relevant in everyone's mind while um, all of this is going on. Doing some more of those, maybe for some other sports, um, you know, even 
streaming them on Qs.com or something like that would be fantastic if you wanted to do Syracuse-Penn State in 1987, Syracuse-Clemson from a few years ago, that big upset. If you wanted to get lacrosse in the mix, maybe the Syracuse-Cornell National Championship game. I think there's an opportunity to do some of those things a little bit more often and, and sort of allow everyone to escape for a little bit. Completely agree. I think they're on to something here, and, and people really enjoy this. And, and what other time could you get everybody together and we're all available, right? Like, what else are you doing? Let's just hang out, watch these games, and, and have some fun. And there's some other events, as you noted, coming up, uh, either anniversaries or not, that uh, we could do that. So great idea there, great execution, and hopefully we'll see a couple more of those. All right, Mike, on the transfer market, it's been interesting because there's the one that they didn't get, there's the one that they did get, and there's the one they may now get. So let's go in order there. Patrick Tappé. What a story that was. Let's just kind of circle back on why he decommitted but then recommitted to Duke and, and where Syracuse kind of fell in that whole conversation. This is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. So typically when someone decommits from somewhere, it's rare that they recommit, though it's not impossible. I mean, Syracuse football has a player on their team that decommitted, and Cornelius Nunn committed to Miami then decommitted from Miami and recommitted to Syracuse. That was a crazy story in and of itself. But that was crazy and weird because it doesn't generally happen. And especially in college basketball recruiting, decommitments are extremely rare in and of themselves, but then to decommit and recommit back to the same school is even more rare. And so when Tepay decommitted, we heard there were a couple of things going on here. One he thought he rushed into his decision a little bit too much because it's, oh my gosh, it's Duke. And, you know, his family lives in the Charlotte area, so Duke obviously carries uh, a, a name-brand recognition nationally, but even more so in the state of North Carolina. So it's obvious why they, there'd be some, um, you know, excitement regard, regarding that offer. So he decided he wanted to take a step back and, and rethink things. When he did that, part of what we were hearing was there was concern on his part that he might not see the floor and get the type of playing time that he would want in his final year as a grad transfer. And then there were some educational aspects to whether or not they had the major he wanted and those types of things. So all of the rumblings behind the scenes were that Syracuse was going to be the school once he decided to make a decision. And we had reported, um, I believe it was Thursday night, that he had told us that he was going to make a decision on Friday. And, um, you know, that's, that's what he communicated to us. So we, we reported that. And everything that we had heard was that it was going to be Syracuse. And then all day Friday came and went, and nothing happened. So then late Friday night, he tells us he needs a couple more days to think things over. Um, I was trying to see whether or not another school was trying to get involved in Ohio State, to Georgetown, to Maryland, something like that. And while Georgetown was trying to, behind the scenes, make a push for him, they weren't what was making him reconsider when he seemed to be set to commit to Syracuse. It was Duke again. And then Sunday he decided to make a phone call to Duke and ask if they would reaccept his commitment. They said yes, and then he decided to make that news public. So um, a, a little bit of a tough blow for Syracuse to have to kind of go through that again. But at the same time, if you've got someone who doesn't want to be here, um, you know, it, it, it's not going to benefit you. So it is what it is, and Syracuse has to move on. 
Okay, from the one they didn't get to the one they did, Alan Griffin announced uh, shortly after that big Facebook Live celebration Saturday night that he is going to transfer from Illinois to Syracuse. And I did not know this till I spotted it here on CuseNation.com, Mike, that not only is Syracuse getting a player that essentially could step right in for Elijah Hughes, you know, barring he is eligible, as you'll discuss here, but there's also a connection with Syracuse football star Trill Williams as well. Yeah, they both went to Stepanak High School um, downstate, and they were friends going to that school. One was the the primary star on the basketball team. The other was the primary star on the football team. They were in the same class, um, graduating year. So, yeah, they were good friends. And and as soon as um, Griffin came out and said that he was transferring, one of the first people that contacted him was Troy Williams saying, hey, you know where you should go, and it's right here. Uh, Now, Alan Griffin says that that didn't really factor into his decision. He was making the decision he thought was the best for his basketball future, but um, it certainly didn't hurt having a, a good friend of his that he kept in contact with even when, when he was at Illinois. And, you know, he admitted that when Syracuse football was on television, he was he was watching it whenever he was able to, and he was monitoring how Trill was doing and how Syracuse was doing. And um, so, you know, it's it, it, Definitely a, a cool thing to have that connection and certainly helps Allen feel a little bit more uh, comfortable going to a new place. But he's a big-time player, and as you mentioned, stepping right in for Elijah Hughes, if he's eligible, he's going to be the presumed starter at the small board position. And um, he was arguably the top non-graduate transfer um, uh, player available in this in the uh, transfer portal. So um, this is a big get for Syracuse. He can really, really shoot. He's very long. Some of his defensive issues that he had at Illinois, um, the theory is that some of those will be mastered or go away by playing in the zone. And he is an extremely good rebounder average. The same number of rebounds as Elijah Hughes did this past season, but in half the minute. So that tells you how good of a rebounder he is. I think this is a huge get for Syracuse. To the one they might get now, Mike. They've been active here on the transfer market. Matt Harms uh, shocked the Purdue coaching staff, as it was reported out there. The seven foot three uh, center prospects got a lot of names on the list, but there's a connection at Syracuse as he knows Jesse Edwards. And Syracuse said, "Hey, why not? Let's throw our name in the mix." Where do you think they stand with him? Well, I, I think they'll certainly do their due diligence, and obviously they've already reached out and and they'll they'll take their shot there, but. Again, he's seven three two fifty. You can't teach that. He is one of the most efficient shot blockers in the nation. I saw um, someone who writes for I can't remember whether whether he's Bleacher Report or The Athletic. His name is Sam. Forget his last name. Starts with a V. But um, he's pretty active on Twitter, and he tweeted out a couple of stats that um, Matt Harms was seventh in the nation in shot block rate, meaning percentage of shots that were in his vicinity that he had an opportunity to block. Um, within a reasonable vicinity of where he was defensively, and he was seventh nationally in shot block rate. Um, he's a good rebounder. You can't teach that kind of size. He was extremely efficient in the pick and roll, which is perfect for what Syracuse does offensively. And then what the the rumblings are is that he wants to showcase some more aspects of his game than he thought he was going to be able to at Purdue to show off for NBA scouts. That includes being able to step back um, to the outside and take more three-pointers, something we know that Syracuse is, is okay with doing. Uh, so I think there's some fits there. It's, it's just going to depend on what other schools are involved 
how much schools like Kentucky and Kansas uh, really want him because that obviously makes it much more difficult to get. But he's got pretty much everyone on his list, and I think it's still very early. He's trying to sort through things. But, man, he would be a monster addition. And I think if, if Griffin were to be eligible and you're able to add Matt Harms, I think Syracuse is a top 25 team next year. Mike McAllister is our guest, Houston.com. Follow him for all the latest on social media and on the website, of course. Now, what I'm intrigued by, Mike, and there's still plenty of time left here in the transfer portal, particularly if that rule change goes through, that will cancel the one-year waiting period for transfers. This team still needs guards. The only guards are Joe Girard, Buddy Beheim, and the incoming Kadari Richmond in the fall with Jalen Carey transferring, Bryson Goodine transferring, and Howard Washington Jr. announcing his intention to transfer. They can't be ruling out looking for a guard. I know that Griffin can play guard a little bit, if if but he may have to sit a year. So they're still... A question mark there to me, and it's not something they're uh, certainly. How can I phrase this? Like they they know they've got to add players at that position, right? Yeah, I mean, again, the guy that you're going to bring in because the coaching staff likes Kadari Richmond, I think, a lot more than people realize, and they believe he can be their third guard next season. So you're really looking for a guy to be your fourth guard, or even if you decide that you want someone with a little bit of experience to be your third guard, and that means you're trying to go with the junior college or transfer market, most of the the best junior college prospects are already scooped up. And your transfers, if you're looking for someone immediately eligible, your graduate transfers, they're not coming to be a third or fourth guard. So that makes it much more difficult. I totally agree with you that having another guy who can be a ball handler or um, a reserve point guard or something of that nature to give you a fourth body back there, it certainly helps your roster, definitely helps your depth, gives you insurance in case of injury or whatever the case may be. But it's a lot easier said than done. That's why I think if they're going to add someone, the most likely route is going to an international prospect. Most of your big-time high school prospects at guard that would be able to contribute right away are already signed somewhere or are down to a couple of schools, and it would be extremely difficult, especially with not being able to get visits, to get involved at this point. International prospects, their recruitment starts much later, and a lot of those guys are sort of just starting to get in the swing of things here, and without being able to visit anywhere, having someplace like Syracuse that's got name recognition, you've got a Hall of Fame head coach, you've got elite facilities you can show them in in some FaceTime or virtual situation, there are advantages to Syracuse making that pitch versus other schools on the international market. So that's why I think if they're going to do it, that's where it's going to come from. They're not ignoring that spot. It's just hard to find someone who's good enough to play at Syracuse who can contribute but is willing to take a reserve role that has experience. It's, it's just extremely difficult to do. There's usually a reason why players are graduate transferring to begin with, and it's to get more playing time, not less. And, Mike, one last thought before we let you go. I know things are kind of quiet on the recruiting front for basketball. We had a lot of transfer news there. Let's switch over to football. What's the just the latest you could tell us recruiting-wise? I know Christian Valu, the quarterback, didn't put Syracuse on his final list, and a couple news and notes there that we should know about. Yeah, it's basically trying to figure out how to work from home and how to navigate the recruiting landscape without being able to conduct visits. Usually the spring period is such a critical period for Syracuse because there's an open evaluation period where coaches can go on the road and evaluate prospects in person during spring practice or 
workouts or whatever the case may be. You can have them on your campus to visit for one of your spring practices or just to visit for the weekend. You can start official visits even, and you can't do any of those things now. So that makes it much more difficult. And Syracuse generally likes to have prospects visit before they take a commitment from them. So those prospects that are a little bit on the fence or you want them to visit before you can take them, it kind of puts Syracuse in a precarious situation with some of those players. Are the summer camps going to go on? That's kind of the biggest thing I'm watching with the way that this whole COVID-19 thing is is um, impacting sports in terms of what I cover is are there going to be those summer Dino Babers football camps where recruits usually come in droves and new prospects emerge and prospects that are on the fence will earn an offer and, and those types of things. There's usually four or five players that commit during those. Are those going to happen? Um, so that's kind of how we're watching everything here is how all of that impact itself and it's brand new um it, it's brand new for me it's brand new for the coaches and they're you know everyone's just trying to figure it all out i still think quarterback is the big position uh they recently offered a four-star out west named peter castelli he's someone who i would keep an eye on that syracuse is targeting very hard ty milner who's a three-star quarterback out of arizona syracuse likes a ton as well they're recruiting him extremely hard so they're still going after their guys. They're still extending new offers, but it's just very different than what this time of year typically is. Michael, always appreciate the time and the insight, my friend. Keep up the good work. You stay safe, you stay healthy, and we'll catch up soon. 